0: All right. Well, we are starting a new series today. I'm very excited to start this series. This is one that's been on my heart for about the last month and a half. And, um, you know, when we're coming up towards the end of the last one, I always spend time praying, all right, Lord, where are we going next? And I'll be honest, there for a while, I just wasn't getting any direction. I wasn't getting, you know, a leaning towards anything or any one particular passage. I wasn't getting anything, which was odd. And it's like, how do you follow up a series that we just did when we're talking about these old time revivals and these different things and the moves of the Spirit and, and how it's biblical? And it's like, all right, Lord, I have no idea where to go from here. I just don't. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to call it because I don't even know what we're going to talk about yet. And so I, I spent a lot of time in prayer, and this verse kept popping up into my head. It's in 2 Timothy, or yeah, Second Timothy chapter 3. It says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, and that he's thoroughly equipped for every good work. I just kept praying, and this verse just kept coming to me, and it kept coming to me, and and I'm like, okay, so obviously we're going to center something around this. But what jumped out to me was the word equipped. I kept looking at this, and I probably read this verse I don't know how many hundreds of times. And I kept looking at the word equipped, and I'm thinking, okay, well, what do you do with that? Because what does equipped mean? Well, the definition, the technical definition of the word equipped, it means to supply with the necessary items for a particular purpose. There are a lot of things that come equipped. You ever buy a vehicle? A new vehicle? They got a list of stuff. The equipment package. What's that come with? What is this vehicle equipped with that makes them charge $80,000 for a new pickup? It ought to come equipped with the drivers, what it ought to come equipped with. But, that's one of the things that we look at. I remember when I was growing up, there was a gal at my church who fell in love with this car. She loved this car. It was the right price. It was exactly what she was looking for. But there was one feature that this car did not have. And because of that feature, she refused to buy it. It checked every box. That you can imagine. The gas mileage was good, the condition of the vehicle was good. It was about two thousand dollars under market price, which you gotta go back to the nineties. That was a lot more money than it is today. I mean everything was about about it. it was perfect in every way. You know what that one piece of equipment was? Cup holder. It didn't have a cup holder. I know, sounds crazy. That cup holder was worth to her. I made her an offer. I said, here's what I'm going to do for you. For $500, I will buy every cup holder between here and the county line, and I will install them myself in that vehicle. She did not take me up on my offer. But we talk about being equipped. Look at this again. Let's put that verse back up there. It's talking about what? The subject here is Scripture. Let's define our terms. What is Scripture? It's the very Word of God. To an Old Testament mind, and a Hebrew at this point, when they think Scripture, they think Old Testament. So all of the Old Testament was given by inspiration of God. All of it. But we also know, if you've been here on Wednesday nights, and studying through, that there was times that Paul referenced Luke's writings as Scripture. That others referenced Paul's writing. Peter does as a matter of fact as scripture. These are writings in the New Testament. Why? Because it wasn't a council that put this thing together and said, listen, these are our 27 books. We really like these. We didn't like the others. We're just going to roll with this. No, these were accepted as scripture by the readers when they saw them. Yes, there were debates that went on. Can you imagine that? A group of men trying to run a church organization having debates about anything. I know it's shocking. Absolutely shocking. Can't even believe it. But these were accepted as Scripture, and it states that in the very New Testament. So why was it given? It was given by inspiration of God, but it's profitable. We all like that word, right? Come on now. It's profitable, baby. That's what we look for. We've got to be profitable. Profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Those are four different items. We're going to go through those, but not today. You see, all of these have to wrap around why Scripture was given. What was the purpose? That the man of God may be complete. So what happens when we don't utilize this, when we don't know it, when we don't study it, when we don't live by it? We're incomplete. You see, it was given for a purpose, inspired by God to complete you. For what reason? That you can be equipped for every good work. You see, you've got to be equipped... To do the work of the Lord. You've got to be equipped with knowledge. You've got to be equipped with boldness. To be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy and the attacks of the world. There are people that are going to come against you. There are people that are coming against us now. Some people have been coming against us for years. They come against the things of God. Because we have elevated things to a higher status than the things of God. We don't go to God first, we go to some sort of remedy, depending on the situation, that we can go to, like a doctor, like something with science, anything like that, we turn there first, but here we need to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now there's context to this, and there's a lot that's going on here, but look at the situation we're in right now. We've lost our minds. We're in America, and we ran out of toilet paper. In America, how crazy? Who would have thought? You guys remember when they're telling you we're going to run out of oil back? I think it was in the '70s or in the early '80s. We're going to run out of oils, guy. Okay, well that's fine. That's underground. You got to go find it. We didn't run out of trees. Why are we out of toilet paper? Kyle threatened to break into the church if things got bad. So if you just keep an eye out. You see that state truck parked out front. Somebody stop in and check on him. I mean, but think about this. We are running out of things based off hysteria. So we've got to be equipped with knowledge. We've got to be equipped with what's going on. This morning I shared on Facebook, so if you get a chance, go listen to it. It's a podcast that Frank Turk did. I've referenced him several times with a guy named Dr. Eichenberg, Dan Eichenberg. And he's a, uh, he was the head of some 600-bed hospital or something in Illinois. I don't remember all the details. The dude, is, he knows his stuff. And he studies his stuff like there is no tomorrow. Talking about the coronavirus specifically and the hysteria that's going around with it. And he says, we have had issues before with these kind of things, but we've never had this kind of hysteria. He's like, what is different this time than any of those other times? Because this guy's been around for a while. He said, you know what the difference is? Social media. That's the difference. He said, that's it. He talked about, as of Friday, okay, March 20th, that the death rate two weeks before that was at like 2.4% with the coronavirus. Do you know what it was on Friday, March 20th? 1.05. I know, CNN didn't pronounce that. Sorry. They must have missed that one. It's hysteria that the flu kills between twenty and 50,000 people, and as of Friday, 217 had died in America. Why are we freaking out? That's from a natural standpoint. We got to have the information. Don't you want the facts? You guys remember Dragnet? The old show? Some of you don't. Some of you are young. You remember Dragnet? Really? Just the facts, man. I'm impressed. Good for you, Jerry. It was a good show. What do you always say? Just the facts. Just give me the info. Just the facts. Don't give me all the story behind it. Some of you guys may say that to your wives. Now, don't make any expressions, but, you know, just give me the story. I don't, I don't need all the other details, just the facts. You see, we've got to live off of these facts. So that's from a naturalistic standpoint. But whatever happened to the power of God? What happened to standing on the Word? What happened to looking at the examples of the apostles and Jesus? You know, I never saw Jesus back down from the lepers. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. six-foot bubble. Don't touch me. Be thee healed. No. He didn't care. The apostles didn't care. We've heard the story of John Lake. They couldn't find, they're paying nurses $1,000 to go and be a nurse during the bubonic plague because they could not get people. Think about this. Early, what was that, 1900s, late 1800s? I don't remember when it was. And $1,000, that's a lot of money. And he says, hey, we'll do it for nothing. Not one of them got sick. Not one. Why? He stood on the Word. He knew what the Word said, and he was fully persuaded that it was true. But We've gotten away from that. You see, what we're seeing today is is where the church stands. Everybody's got to make a decision for themselves. You're ultimately responsible to you. Some churches have closed. Some have stayed open. Both are griping about the other ones. So who's right and who's wrong? All I know is we stand on the Word, and we don't move in fear. We move in faith. You find out where you are when things get rough. Things are hairy out there, guys. It's scary. You don't know Christ. If if you don't know what the word says, do you know that the Bible actually predicts this kind of stuff? Think about this. I want to read you a text message. I read this to the guys this morning. That I got from John George. Some of you guys remember John. John was here several years ago. He's Willie George's brother, the pastor of, uh, or well, I guess he's kind of retired now, but of, of Church on the Move down in Tulsa, a church of 20 some thousand people. And we had him here, I don't know, probably four years ago now. And I haven't heard from him since 2018 we, on Facebook, whenever. He sends me this text Friday afternoon. He says So we now see the devil's plan unfolding to institute this one world government. Use a virus and subsequent chaos to strike fear in men's heart to accept control and dominance. Eventually, the mark of the beast. All to set the stage for the son of perdition and the man of sin, the Antichrist, to establish his reign. It's brought our powerful nation and economy to its knees in just two weeks. Even most of the church has caved. The church must rise up and fight. It's time to look up. Only the church of faith will be victorious. The quasi-church is trouble. that to. I've heard from the guy since 2018. It's the first communication we had. Sends that to me out of the blue. And you know why? It's because I refuse to back down to any scare tactic and anything that the enemy throws out there. Because we stand on the word. We know what the word says. You see, the thing is is when things get rough, how are we equipped? Are we prepared for battle? That's really what it comes down to. I mean, Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. You know what it means to put on? It means that you don't have it on automatically. You have to prepare yourself. You have to always be keeping it on. Don't take it off. Put it on. Leave it on. Walk in boldness. Walk in strength. We have to be prepared and equipped. And it's times like this when we find out where we are. Are we standing on the Word of God and the truth therein, or are we going to run and hide as soon as things get rough? Some people have chosen to stay home, and God bless them. You know? I understand. I don't blame them in, in, in a lot of ways, but the thing is, is that we have to always stand on the Word of God. No matter what we do, if we are acting in fear, then we are not acting in faith. It's one thing to be smart, wash your hands a little extra, and do those kind of things. It's another thing to cower and hide and refuse to leave my house because the boogeyman's out there and he might get me. Is there ever a time in Scripture where the mandate of sharing the gospel is stopped when things get rough? Do you realize that every day people are killed in foreign countries where it's illegal to be a Christian because they are propagating the good news of the gospel? They risk their lives on a daily basis. Bring that to America and the church just be like, listen, just quiet down. We don't want any trouble here. Why? Because the church has become a social club. It's become a place where we go. It's becomes a place where we attend. It's just another thing that we do. It's no longer a source where we are equipped and empowered, where we're taught, and we grow, where we come in to be built up, to go out to do the work of the ministry. The church has lost its power. Remember whatever happened to the power of God? What did we talk about? We talked about that very thing, that you come near to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. That you believe part, but you deny the power. You see, we're denying the power of God when we walk in fear. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying because somebody didn't make it today or whatever, the case that they're running and hiding. I'm not trying to say that at all. What I'm saying is, is look at society as a whole. What do we have to be afraid of? What happens if the economy crashes and all your money is gone? It's going to happen at some point. At some point, it will. We pray that we're raptured out of here well before that happens, right? Because guess what you're eating at that point? Off-brand beans. Beans. Nobody wants that. I mean, I know that's silly, but I mean, think about it. Like, it is going to happen. Where is our faith? What do we do? I've told people this for years. There are times that, that it is hard to give into the ministry, to bring your tithe to the Lord, to worship Him in that, and be obedient in that because financially it's tough. Man, if I could, if I just kept this, I could pay this bill or, or maybe get ahead a little bit or you know, man, it's been a rough couple of months and I just really want to take my kids out and do something fun, but if I, if I give that to the Lord, then I won't have the extra funds. Where's your faith? He never said bring the tide in the storehouse unless things aren't going so well, then you keep that. He said that's his, bring it back to me. That, that belongs to him. But, but we don't. You know, I've had other people that have never been in a financial position to give. Most of the time that is self-inflicted. Sometimes it's not. They're never in a position to give and they say, if I only got money, if I could just come into some wealth or something, boy, I would be the most generous person you ever saw. You know how many times that that has happened? I can tell you right now, every person I've ever had that conversation with who has come into money, not one has become a faithful giver. Why is that? Because it's not the amount. It's always the principle. It's a matter of the heart. So we're faithful in good times and bad times. I don't care what the stock market does. I don't care if the, you know what? If the Mexican peso becomes the world currency, I'm okay with that. Arriba. I mean, I don't care. I just don't care. Do you guys realize that if this church ever got to the point where we could not afford to pay me, do you realize that I'm not going anywhere? You can't get rid of me that easy. Because I don't care. I will trust the Lord just like many of you do. I don't care what happens. I know some of you are like, Is that all it takes? Let's. <laughs> Done! We need to talk after service today, y'all. I mean, but think about it, guys. Quiet over there. Think about it, though. Like, where is our faith? Are we equipped? Are we prepared? We're finding out now. Are we in a position where we can withstand the attacks of the enemy? Are we in a position to withstand the pressures of culture? Do you realize that culture has been going against the things of God for many years now? We've been pushing and pushing, and the church has backed up. And it's backed up, and it's backed up. And many have fallen, and many have settled, and many have made concessions. Like, listen, we're just going to give a little bit here. Hopefully we'll get it back on the back end. We stand on the Word There is no give to the Word of God. We offend people with the Gospel. I am sorry if that's the case, but it is the truth. It's not fun. Like guys, I covet your prayers. I'll be honest with you guys. Because it's not easy to meet here today. I've caught grief on both sides. And I've just decided we're going to stand on the Word. If somebody needs to stay home, stay home. We're going to meet, we're going to pray, we're going to worship God together as the body of Christ. We are not moved by the conditions of this world. If they make church illegal, then we will meet underground. I, not literally underground, nobody's digging a hole, okay? Although you've been digging a lot lately. Kyle's our guy if, we, if it comes to that. But Yeah, exactly, we'll just go to Kyle's We can, meet, we can meet behind his fence. There you go, behind his fence. If it, <laughs> Hopefully you're a man of faith because uh, that thing may not stand, so we'll find out. You know, but here's the thing, guys. It's just, this is just a decision that we have, we have made. And there are pastors that are out there complaining like, oh, it's so irresponsible. And then you've got pastors on the other side are saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe you would cower in fear. And I'm standing here it's like, I'm just standing on the Word. I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. I'm going to stand on the Word. I just don't care. If they made it illegal to preach the Gospel, do you think that would stop us? No. Not a chance. Arrest me if you have to, but you ain't going to shut me up. Many have tried. Not for anything spiritual. <laughs> it's like, that guy ever stopped talking? The answer is no, so give it up. Yeah, my wife, she's staring at me now. I was like, yeah, she can tell you. I mean, the thing is, guys, is where are we? Are we equipped? We find out when we need it, don't we, Leslie? We find out. We heard about it last week, an incredible story. I shared that with many, many people, and I got many phone calls. And, and, and I'm telling you guys, they're like, listen, if you hadn't sent that to us because you know the guy... I'm not sure how much of that story I believe. And my response is, is like, I know. (laughs) Me too. But in a desperate situation where you have no choice but to fall back on your training, am I equipped? And the answer was, yes, she was. You didn't even know it. But the whole time you were prepared. You see, that's what training does, is that we are equipped for when we need it. My brother used to be a cop. And they would go through drill after drill after drill. How to get your gun out quickly. All of the, yeah, you probably know too. You've gone through it time and time again. He never had to draw his weapon on somebody. But what they wanted is that when you're in a situation, it becomes automatic. My response is natural. I mean, that's where we've got to get spiritually. And if we're not there today, hey, that's okay. Let's recognize it and let's deal with it. Let's get there. Let's get to the point where we are not afraid of whatever is thrown against them. We'll just say, no, I'm going to stand on this Word no matter what. I don't care what I see. I don't care what I hear. I'm standing on the Word of God. It's not us versus them. It's us. God, I'm with you. Whatever you have. You see, there are tons and tons of examples throughout Scripture that focuses on this. That we're prepared and equipped for the things of God. And we could go into all of these New Testament passages, but I want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is a story about Daniel and Goliath. You all know it, you've heard it many times, maybe some of you since you were a kid. But I want to go into this today with the word equipped in mind. And I want to show this to you and show you how things work out sometimes. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and, uh, and were gathered at Soca, where which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokah and Azekah and Ephes I don't know who named these places, but if they're in heaven, we're going to have a talk. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain Uh, on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So let's look at this for a minute. What's going on? Now, they have entered into the promised land. Remember, they wanted a king. God says, no, you don't. And they're like, yes, we do. God says, all right, I'll give you one. Saul's your guy. And Saul was given a mandate. Now remember, there was a time that Saul, where the Holy Spirit came upon him and he began to prophesy. And how did he do it? Stark naked. Right? That's weird. Okay? And he was told to go into battle and begin to continue the conquests that were going on prior to that, to go and do very specific things, and the things that they were supposed to do was not take any of the goods. Those belonged to the Lord. And he was supposed to kill King Agag of the Amalekites. And he doesn't do it. There's a lot of issues that were going on, and so the Lord is going to remove Himself from him, and He anoints David as king. Now, who is David? David's a young man. Had eight brothers. I think it was eight brothers, or he was the eighth one, I don't know. And... The least of one that you'd ever expect. He's the youngest in the group, which means he's the smallest in the group. But that's who the Lord chose. And so here they are. They're lining up for battle. This is kind of how it went. They're on one side. Israelites are on the other. They're getting ready to go. The men are prepared for war. But watch what happens. They throw a curveball. It's as if they weren't prepared for this. Verse 4, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath from Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now, I don't want to go into all of these different things. I've done this before, and I will another time. But for the sake of time, just understand, that's a lot, really heavy, really, really heavy. Not your normal-sized guy. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now, the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Now, stop there for a moment. He's throwing down. It's like they didn't know this guy existed because the way they respond, they're a bunch of pansies. But look what had happened. When they went into the promised land and they went in to conquer, what happened? The Lord went before them and took the places and gave it to him. Why? Because God was the king of Israel. But look what He just said. Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? See, It wasn't God that they reported to. It was now Saul. Something had changed. There's been a shift. And so he's saying, listen, you send out your best guy. I'm our best guy. We'll throw down. Last man standing wins. Why should everybody die? That was really the mindset. Verse 10, and the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now why is that? You see, this land was promised to them. And God said, it's yours to go take. Why are they afraid? Well, suddenly, something is standing in front of them. They lined up for battle. They were prepared. And this giant comes out and threatens them. They weren't prepared for that. We're going to send one guy against him? I don't think so. They're scared. What are they afraid of? Now, put that in today. What is the church afraid of? Obviously, we're afraid of sickness. We're not standing up to it. We're not taking authority over it. We're cowering and hiding. Understand when I say we, I mean big church. I'm never referencing specifically us. Like, the church today has bowed its knee because it is scared To stand up. What if there's a lawsuit? We'll survive. I mean, the thing is, I was told a few years ago it's like, what happens if they take away the tax exempt status of churches? Giving's gonna drop off. Whether that happens or not, I don't know, but here's what I know we were never called to be tax exempt. We were called to be salt and light. So take it away, take the money away. We don't need the money to work the gospel. We don't need this building. We don't need any of this to be the church. This is where the church meets. So they're afraid because something has happened. It's thrown them off kilter. Their training has not prepared them to face a giant. They are ill-equipped. They're not prepared. And they're recognizing it. They don't know what to do. Verse 12, now David was the son of the Ephesians. Of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. Okay, there was eight total. There you go. And a man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of these three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn next to him, Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So David went out. He's the youngest. So the three oldest were there. What about the other four? Where are they? Doesn't say, does it? They're not there. Why is David tending the sheep? It seems as if he's doing it by himself. Because he goes out to where they are, and then he goes back to take care of the sheep. He's pulling double duty. So he returns from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Verse 16. And the Philistines drew near and presented himself for 40 days. Morning and evening. Twice a day. Every day. For 40 days. He comes at... Let's do this, guys. Then Jesse, verse 17, said to the son of David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. And now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. They're ready to go, but Goliath is standing there. So David's on a mission. What's his job? What was he sent there to do? Bring the food. David, take the sandwiches. They're hungry. Take the cheese to the bosses. Maybe he'll take it easy on your brothers. Like, he's got a mission. Go there. That's all he's going there to do. Okay? Verse 20. So David arose early in the morning. He left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and the shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistine had drawn up in battle array, army against army. So they're lining up, like it's getting a little hairy. This thing may go down. They won't send one against Goliath, but they still have some confidence in their ability as a group. Okay? David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, and he ran to the army, and he came and greeted his brothers. Now, he knows what's going on. I mean, he shows up, they know what's going on. And what did he do? He ran towards the battle. He didn't run away from it. He didn't say, like, listen, I'm just going to drop this stuff off. I'm going to keep my six feet away. I'm going to leave. No, he ran to where the battle was. Verse 23, Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Every time he showed up. Now, remember what happened. When Moses gets to the border, they're there at the promised land. They send 12 spies. They look across. 10 of them come back and say, there are giants there. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. There's no way that we can do this. But two of them said, no, 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 no. God said that's ours. We can take this. Like, we need to go. We need to do this. And they cowered to the 10. The... Herd mentality says go with the the, the largest vote. Let's put a committee together. Majority rule. That's exactly how we should operate in life. That's sarcasm if you're not picking up on it. And because of that, there were consequences. So here we are again. They're in the promised land. They're facing one of these giants. And they are scared to death. They cower. They're afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. I don't know about you, but if someone says, listen, you do this for me, you'd never pay taxes again. I don't care what it is. I'm likely signing up. Bring it on. So Saul is bribing the people. If somebody will do this, who should have been the one to step up in battle? Saul. He should have been at the front, going in or going out with the army, leading the charge. But he was afraid. He didn't have the guts. Verse 26, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Now, there's two things here. David's like, tell me all them good things you say that's about to happen to me again. I just want to hear them one more time. Can we get that in writing and sign this just, just so we're all on the same page? Step one, smart man, because the tax thing, pretty awesome. But then he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Because the living God had said, Go in there and take that land. It's yours. How can you come against that? You think you're big? Now, why does he say uncircumcised? He's not in the covenant. These are a people outside of the covenant of God. They're not on, on equal footing because God's chosen people were in covenant with God. Verse 27 And the people answered him in this morning, say, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Dave is interested. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. What's happening? David is not being wavered by what he sees. He's standing on what he knows is the truth from the word of God. And who's coming against him? His brother. You're so prideful. What are you doing here? Who's watching the sheep? That's your job. Get back over there. Your pride is going to bring you down. The insolence of your heart. I've had that conversation this week. I've prayed, Lord, I feel like this is what you're saying. Well, make sure it's not just me being stubborn. If you don't know, I can kind of be stubborn from time to time. I've been a Nebraska fan my whole life. I ain't given up yet, and they have given me every reason (laughs) to. David was not moved by what was in front of him. He stood on what he knew. And watch his reaction, because his own brother is coming against him. David, what is wrong with you? You really think you can do anything? What is wrong with you? Don't you know that you need to go back and do your job, take care of the sheep? Are you not thinking about the sheep, David? Verse 29, he said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. And when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and will fight this Philistine. He's like, don't let anybody be afraid. I, a young boy who just left the sheep, I've just set to bring the cheese, that's all I did. I'll go fight him. He's stepping up. Why? Where's his confidence? I'm sorry, I don't care how old he is. When you got some like nine foot dude standing in front of you with a massive sword and a massive javelin, and you're a boy, stand up Isaac, come here, I'm going to use you today. He might have been a little older than Isaac. You see this kid? He can't push me over. He tries. Don't try. I don't want you to prove me wrong. Okay? That would be embarrassing, especially for those of you at home. But look at him. Picture him standing up against some nine-foot dude. And he's going to the king who's afraid. And he says, I got this. You can sit down. You can go back to your nap. Sorry, I woke you. I mean, think about that. It took a child to stand up to the enemy of God, and all he was doing is standing on the promise of God. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and will fight with this Philistine. Oh, but that's so arrogant, David. You really think you can take him? You're going to die. You're going to get us all killed. You're going to cause all sorts of problems. Maybe if we just wait him out, Goliath will die of old age. Maybe we give him all the cheese you brought, and he'll get so constipated, he'll die from it. That's not in the Scripture, okay? It might be in the Message Bible, I'm not sure. We'll have to look that up. I mean, but the thing is, he's he's like, I'm going to go. So Saul, the king, said, David, you can't do this. You can't fight him. You're a youth. He's been a man of war from his youth. Before you were born, he fought idiots like you, and he killed them. Might have eaten them. We don't know what he did. David, you can't do this. But watch David's response, verse 34. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion and a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, I struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. When it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, and I struck and I killed it. See, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Now, what happened? He was equipped. You see, he always knew his responsibility and his job, and he knew what God said that you could do. And when that lion and that bear came in to take the sheep, he didn't say, Well, I guess we're one down. He went after it. He's like, You ain't getting away from me. I'm going to take you out. And he did. He stood on the very promise of God, and he says, This Philistine will be like them because God will deliver me, will deliver him into my hands. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Nothing can defy the promises of God unless we refuse to stand on them. You see, that's why the enemy goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. There are many today that are devoured right now. They are panicking and in fear. So are we going to bow down? Or are we going to stand on the Word? He goes on. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now, was Saul confident here? I don't know. He may have just been like, good luck, bud. Leave me alone. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail, and David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, "I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. You see, Saul's like, okay, David, listen, if you're going to do it, just do it my way. I want to give you the best shot I can. This is the only way I know how to help you. Wear my armor. And David, okay, I'll put it on. I'll try this. And he goes to put his sword on it, and he realizes as he's walking, Saul's a grown man. This is a young boy. I can't move in this thing. I'm not trained in this. I imagine that If they issue a new weapon, you're expected to spend some time on that weapon until you are very proficient with it. They're not going to hand you a new gun and say, here you go. Let's know how it works. No. Every little detail has gone over to the point where you could do this in your sleep. And so, David's like, listen, I'm not equipped for this. This is not how I operate. This is not how I killed the lion and the bear. And this is not how I'm going to be able to go after this thing. I can't move. I pictured the tin man... You know, when he didn't have the oil, that's what I'm picturing. So David took his staff and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put his in the shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling when is was in his hand. Now I don't know about you, but when I'm facing a giant, I'm not looking for rocks. I'm looking for higher calibers. But he went with what he knew. He went with what he'd been trained on. Why did he take five stones? In case you don't know, I'm going to answer this. I'm not going to give you the verses to prove it. You need to trust me, but you can look them up. It was not because he was afraid he might miss. It speaks about Goliath having five brothers in 2 Samuel. He was prepared to get them all. Okay? It's a sidebar. That one's free. So he draws near to the Philistine, verse 41. The Philistine came. And began drawing near to David. Remember, twice a day, every day, he came out. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth. He was ruddy, he was good looking. I imagine the giant was not. Okay? But that word disdain, that's powerful. He was mad. This is what you send to me. You're going to insult me with this. It's kind of like back in the 90s when Oklahoma would play Nebraska. It's like, why would you guys even come? You can't handle us. Those were good days, weren't they, Paul? And by the grace of God, they're coming back. All right. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields. Pretty confident young man. He says, Bring it on. Watch what he says next. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword, and with the spear, and with the javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you, and I will take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I'm getting emotional, y'all, but this is for real. The reason I'm emotional is because this is how I expect the church to respond in every circumstance. And we don't. We cower because we're weak. We've lost our heart. We bow down at the face of adversity every time. And here it takes a young boy when there wasn't another man in the entire army of Israel willing to step out there and say, no, 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 let me try. No, 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 I want to try. It took a boy who was watching the sheep and came to deliver the cheese. And he shows up and he says, I'll do this. But look what he says. You're coming at me. You got a sword, you got a javelin, you got all that stuff. You know what he didn't say? I got five rocks. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. That's who you've defied. You see, you didn't insult me. You didn't insult my people. You insulted my God. He wouldn't stand for it. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Does it sound like he's questioning that at all? He doesn't say, I hope I win. He didn't have people behind him saying, you can do it. They were holding up signs saying John three sixteen, go team. There was none of that. He just went. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you, and I'm going to take your head from you. Then I'll give the carcasses of the entire camp of the Philistines, and the birds and the wild beasts, and they're gonna eat they're gonna come they're gonna feast for weeks. It'll be the golden corral of that time. Maybe that's where golden corral was birthed out of. We don't know. Why? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. All the earth. Not some of the earth. Not so you know, Philistines. All the earth. Remember what happened with the Exodus when they went into the promised land? The people were freaking out because they heard that God got them through the Red Sea. Freak them out. If God can do that, what can't he do? Verse 47. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into into our hands. When did that change? When did we decide that we can do this battle? When did we decide that we got to rely on medicine when we feel sick? When did we decide that all the stuff that goes against us, it ever became something responsible to us? outside of our sheer obedience to God's God's plan, God's word. When did we decide that? You see, at any point in time David could have said, "Listen. I'm going to do this, guys." He wasn't arrogant. He was fully persuaded. There's a big difference. Yeah, that comes off as cocky. That comes off as arrogant. That comes off as brash. People do not like to be faced or told they're wrong. Nobody does. And it comes off as arrogant to say anything of the such, especially right now when you stand and say, listen, I am not afraid of this for two reasons. I know what the Word of God says, number one. And number two, even if it took me out, I know where I'm going. I'm not worried. We don't fear death because we have the hope of the resurrection and the promises of God. That's why we don't fear death. That's why when we go to a funeral of a believer, it's not a time of sadness. It's a time of rejoicing. Yeah, we'll miss them. We rejoice for the goodness of God because the promise has been fulfilled to them. You see, nothing on this earth can defy the armies of the living God. And today, that is you and I. Nothing can unless that roaring lion roars so loud that you back down. At any point in time, if David changes his mind, imagine what this outcome of this story is. Imagine what happens with the nation of Israel. Imagine what happens if he just backs off and he says, He's a lot bigger when you get closer to him. Objects in mirrors appear closer than they... I mean, it's just... So, he will give you into our hands. In verse 48, so it was when the Philistine arose, and he came, and he drew near to meet David, that David hurried, and he ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. He didn't walk. He ran. David put his hand in his bag, and he took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. He knocked him out, but he's not dead. You see, he made a promise to the Philistine. What was the promise? I'm going to take your head. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. So what does he do? He ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, and drew it out of its sheath, and he killed him, and cut off his head with it. Now, I don't know about you, but I have watched Veggie Tales about a thousand times. They left that part out. That would have made it really interesting growing up. What did he do? He was equipped with all he needed, and he took the very weapon that was going to be used to kill him and used it to finish the job. He was never scared. He didn't need to be scared, because he knew the promises of God. Watch what happens. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted, suddenly, hey, look, we're brave now, and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharim even as far as Gath and Ekron, and then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistine and they plundered their tents and David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Now why did David take the head to Jerusalem? I don't have the foggiest idea. If I ever remove a person's head and I have no intentions on doing that, but it's going to stay right there. I don't need a keepsake. Okay? You see, David was prepared. And the reason David was prepared is when the little things happen, not that a lion and a bear coming into your camp is a little thing, but let's assume for a moment that it is, he wasn't moved by those either. You never stand up to Goliath unless you start with the little things in your obedience. You see, if you don't have the guts, putting you in David's shoes, to go after Goliath, the lion and the bear to take what's yours, you won't have the guts when it's time to face Goliath. If you can't give when things are tight and trust God for your finances, you won't give when things are good. If you don't call for the elders of the church to lay hands on you when you have a cold, you won't be prepared when you're facing cancer. You see, It's all about obedience and simply accepting what God said is true. That has never changed. We, as the body of Christ, cannot be moved by what's going on in society. The only way we use that anymore is when it comes to moral issues. We won't bow down to gay marriage we won't bow down to abortion i don't care what society says that's wrong and we've used that only when it comes to the basis of morality but what about all the other parts you see it it can be scary when you're giving money and you're struggling on the other side but who is the source of everything it's god Who does that belong to? It belongs to God. He doesn't say give it. He says bring it. It's His. You see, it's in the little things. It's no different when we talk, just money as an example, but when when I'm sitting down with people and preparing budgets, and they're like, well, you know, I just get a $4 cup of coffee. Well, when you do it every day, you see, when you won't discipline yourself now, just because things get better and the dollars are more doesn't mean you'll discipline yourself then either. That is why you see somebody that, you know, they get a big promotion at work, and the first thing to do is they buy a boat or a bigger house. Nothing ever changes in their world. They just got more stuff. We as the body of Christ, who call ourselves Bible-believing Christians, have to stand on the Word no matter what. That can be hard. Because society is going to come against us and say, No, 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 no. I don't know if that's what that means. Well, how do we know that they interpreted what God said correctly? How do, how do you know that that's God's will? You see, it's all right here. It's never gone away. But we make excuses. We don't study this. We don't spend time in prayer. We don't spend time fasting. The church today has become a social club where our attendance is not mandatory. You come when you want. Get there whenever you can. Whatever. If we acted like getting together the body of Christ and our life depended upon it, we would would be acting differently. But because we have freedoms here. That's why the church in China grows at such an enormous rate, because they're persecuted. There's something that it costs them. So if you're going to be in, you're not a bench warmer. You're in the game. The church, to use Jim's analogy, quit walking the dog a long time ago. We quit making a point to go and talk to somebody. And we've adopted ideas that, well, you know, if an opportunity presents itself, I guess I'll step through it. Listen, if you will not on purpose go and talk to somebody, you'll also ignore those instances where it just happens to fall in your lap. If you know somebody's sick and they didn't call you, but you just say, you call them and say, I'm going to come pray for you because I know what the Word says. And believers lay hands on the sick and they recover. I'm coming to pray for you. But if you just sit back and wait, you won't be prepared when the time comes, we're ill equipped. The church has lost its way because we're ill equipped. And there's a number of reasons for that. But look what God has done to prepare us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and He Himself, who's that? It's Jesus. How do we know? Because they capitalized it. Isn't that nice? That helps us. He Himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets. Some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? Why were they given by Jesus? For the equipping of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. You see, Jesus gave giftings to people to equip the church. There are people who are standing at offices, have taken these titles but they were not given by Jesus. There are some that have been given by a calling, if you will, by Christ Himself for this, but they don't stand up on the truth of the Word. Why were they given to equip the saints to do what? The work of the ministry. If you come to church on Sunday to be ministered to, you've missed the point. We come to be equipped. You find out how well-trained you are when we face adversity. Will you stand up in the face of adversity and defiance among culture no matter what it costs you? We all say yes, but we find out when it happens. I've had people for years tell me, I, I would do anything for God. But I won't do that, sorry, meatloaf song going through my head. That's not what they said. I will do anything for God, and i would be willing to die for Him. And I think most of us would say, yeah, I am. I'm willing to lay down my life. That's great. We need to be willing to do that, because it may cost us our life at some point. We've got it pretty good here. It's pretty cushy. The worst thing facing the church right now is we might run out of toilet paper. We're, we're doing okay. Don't worry, Joe, we got you. He's potty training right now. He's concerned. Prior to that, it was all taken care of for him. Now it's like he's a little bit on his own. You see, it's good that we're willing to lay down our lives for, for God, but what happened to us willing to live our lives for God each and every day, each and every moment, not allowing fear to move us? You see, he gave all of these gifts to the church for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. That means that the work to be performed is on the church and not the pastor, not the evangelist, not the prophet. They are there to equip. We edify the body of Christ till when? All come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measurement of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So when do we stop doing this? When we've all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. If you're wondering, that has not happened yet. There's still work to be done. You, you, you don't get to retire. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the Head, Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its shares, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You see, we as the body of Christ have allowed ourselves to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. I don't know if that's really what that means. Well, that's your interpretation. Listen, we need to hunker down. we got to think about society here. I am. I am not afraid of what corona can do to a person. I am afraid of what sin has done to that person. And there's only one cure. Are we going to get quiet or are we going to get louder? Are we going to cower or are we going to get to the work of the ministry? We teach the Word here, y'all. You've heard it. Time to put it into practice. It's time to move forward and stop being tossed to and fro. By who? The trickery of men. The cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Hey, you guys need to close because you might catch that cold. Listen, I'm telling you, if bubonic plague attacks America and somebody calls and asks me to go pray for them, I will stand in that room because truthfully, to live is Christ and lay hands on them and if it gets me, I'm doing all right. But it can't get me because that lion can only roar. He cannot attack unless I let him. You see, we got work to do. 1 Peter 3 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Always be ready. Does that mean sometimes be ready? No. Always be ready. To do what? Give a defense. That's that word apologia, that Greek word. We use apologetics. When somebody asks you, why is it that you believe what you believe? You should be prepared to tell them why. Why is it? that you're not afraid to go into rooms of more than ten people. Let me tell you why. I don't have to, anything to be afraid of. You always are ready, always prepared, always equipped, ready to go into battle no matter what the circumstances may be. I'm telling you guys, if in two weeks time, our economy can crash like it did over fear-mongering over this virus. Imagine if something really serious hits. Imagine an atomic bomb goes off. Imagine what the rapture will do to America. But yet, around the world, every day they live their lives in fear of being killed. Not fear, I shouldn't say that. Let me rephrase that. With the risk of being killed. But it never slows them down. When they say it is illegal for you to meet together, they find a place to do it anyway. They are not afraid to live as Christ, to die as gain. Romans 15, verse 1. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. If your hope rests in anything besides the Word of God, it will fail you. It may not be this time, but ultimately it will. You see, we've lost our way, we've had it too good for too long. The day is coming where we will no longer be able to do this. And I'm not talking about this immediate thing. I'm talking, the day is coming where they will be banned. I guarantee you. There is a day coming where the church of, of Christ in the United States will have to go underground to meet in secret locations. And honestly, it's the best thing that could ever happen to the church. It'll separate the wheats from the tares. It'll bring to the forefront those who are really devoted to Christ and those who have joined the club. Those who have made Jesus not only their Savior, but also their Lord. When He's your Lord, you say, what do you want from me? What do you need from me? What do you have from me? What can I do for you? How may I serve you? How can I worship you? It no longer becomes about us. It becomes all about Him. The question is, have we been equipped? There are people that have sat in church since they were kids. And then when they face any sort of ripple, any sort of persecution, they cower. So obviously sitting here is not the answer. You guys know I like to lift weights. I used to lift a lot more of them than I do right now. But you know the one thing I noticed, I'm not a scientist. I'm definitely not an expert in the medical field. And I am not a genius when it comes to strength training. But this is what I noticed. When I went into the gym... I sat down on the bench and I looked at Facebook for an hour and then I got up and I went home and grabbed a snack on the way because I'd earned it. I did not gain anything that day. Going to the gym is not what makes one stronger. You see, I've trained powerlifters. And the thing I tell young powerlifters is when they're, they're learning these different movements, That there's a certain way that you set up. There's a certain way you start your lift and your squat, how you descend, where you end up. There are cues. And what we do is we drill that in them with light weight until it becomes automatic. That way, when the weight gets heavy and they go down and they're struggling to come back up, they notice, I got out of my form. I missed my mark. I missed my groove. It becomes automatic. They can self-diagnose and correct. Same thing with football. Run it again. Run it again. Run it again. They, they make the alignment, hit and move in a certain way. How you shuffle your feet, how you put your hands, everywhere you do, everything is done with purpose and intentionality. Because when it's game time, what they don't want you doing is you're standing there, they're about to hike the ball, and you're like, okay, step one. I move my right foot forward. Step two, right hand hits guy in face. You know, that's not how it works. It's got to become automatic. When you're faced with adversity, you find out how well equipped you are. The hardest thing that we can do is be honest with ourselves and say, am I prepared for what's coming? I don't even care about this right now. This is nothing. Are we prepared for what's coming? Are we prepared to face adversity? You know, a lot of Christians have put their faith in Trump right now. He's going to make things better. Listen, never put your faith in a man, let alone a politician. Let alone one from New York. Oh, Lord help us. Guys, Florida. Oh, okay. Okay, fair enough. Well, Whatever works. Guys, let's go back to the basics. Let's begin to drill. Let's get equipped. Let's quit playing games. Let's get equipped. Let's be prepared for battle. Not with another man's armor, but with the full armor of God.